welcome to the welcome to the engaged probably almost like welcome to the eight black hands podcast this is not that right uh welcome to the engaged podcast uh episode uh three of season two and so tonight we're going to be talking about equitable discipline in schools right um so fellas let's do a quick check-in how y'all doing smitty starting with you how are you sir Man, I'm good, man. Uh, getting ready for this Saturday. We got our back to school barbecue bash, inviting all of our families uh, back into the building to get them ready for the school year. We have uh, quite a few of our community partners and vendors in the building. Uh, super excited about that. And then we're also kicking off our PTSA membership drive, uh, where we are raffling off two chief tickets. Uh, so if you want to make sure you get your membership paid for before September 9th, that's when the raffle's going to happen. But super excited about that raffle. You know, we got some big plans for our PTSA this year because, you know, I'm all about that community outreach. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And Kansas City probably won't make it to the playoffs. So, yeah, make sure you go to that Christmas game in the freezing cold. Uh, all oh. of our Kansas City people oh, down untuned off. <laughs> <laughs> Ball, how you doing, bro? Um, great. I'm doing well. I'm really excited for uh, this show. Um, it's been, you know, a, a good a good week. Just plugging along, getting ready for the school year. Uh, had my first meeting with my curriculum leaders, and it was a it was a good positive step. Again, I'm starting at a new school, so you know, just trying to make those uh, build those relationships from the beginning, set the tone. Yeah, relationships are super important. So tonight's show is a very important show, folks. If you're in the audience, let us know where you where you're tuning in from. Uh, let us know what what what, what schools you're at. I know Grandview is here. Uh, Ball, I, your school probably ain't here yet. You probably you know because you ain't build no connections with them yet, so they might not be here. Yet. We get there. We will get there. Uh, <laughs> Riverhead Charter School, if you're in the building, let us know you're here. I know we're streaming live to that page. Um, all right. So starting out with you, Ball, on you. What is an equitable classroom? What does that look like, an equitable classroom? I think an equitable classroom is really a, a place where all students have the opportunity to be successful, whatever that looks like as far as, you know, students need more time, students needing different ways that they are engaging with the curriculum, uh, just everyone with that, with that opportunity uh, to be successful. And uh, it, it takes time to get there, and I'm sure we'll get in that um, – as we go along, but I think that that opportunity to be successful is, is key there for equi equitable uh, learning environment classroom. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, Smitty, same thing on you, Dr. Smith. Uh, what is an equitable classroom? Uh, so not to sound redundant in what the bar gave, but to me, an equitable classroom is giving each individual student what they need when they need it. Um, so, and that can be from an academic standpoint, that can be from a social emotional standpoint, um, but making sure students need, get whatever they need in order to reach that goal that you have for them and that they have for themselves, um, in the moment that they need it, you know, um, so kind of that real time check-in, uh, whether it be from an instructional standpoint, like I said, or a social emotional standpoint. And then in order for to do that, I will kind of get this a little bit later is have uh, teachers have to have that, that withedness to understand what it is that kids need, but also to have to know that kid and have some background knowledge about that kid so they know when to give them what they need at that time. Yeah, so I'm gonna stay with you for a second, man, because you just pointed out something, right? You said that withedness, right? And so most people or some people in the audience may not know what that withedness is. So like, if you're breaking that down, what is that withedness? Uh, the withedness is almost like that sixth sense when it comes to teaching. Um, it's being able to read kids' body language. It's being able to 
you know, see a kid, how they're responding, um, knowing when you hear certain, you know, phrases, knowing when a kid's not tracking with you based on their feedback or based on how they're responding to questions, um, being able to have proximity around the, you know, your classroom um, and knowing when kids are off task and when you just need to kind of step in, maybe ask a guiding question to bring them back. So I like it to that, that sixth sense. I think, you know, Teaching is, a, there's an art and science of teaching. There's a science part, but I think that witnessing is that art part. Like you have to know when to use a wide brush, you know, paintbrush versus a pinpoint paintbrush to make those perfect strokes in the classroom. So that's what I mean when I talk about that within this. Uh, I, I do want to make sure I shout out, you know, Sharif and the, you know, we need black teachers before we go. Yeah, we definitely further, need so. black teachers. <laughs> hey, don't be shouting out Sharif on this show, man. But all right, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I knew that was uh, coming. So, so what is it? So, in your thinking, right? Even with, with your definition, putting yourself in the in the mind of your students, right? Because like, you know, I feel like as educators, we don't do that enough. We don't put ourselves in the shoes of our students. If you're putting yourself in the shoes of the students, Ball, uh, what does equity look like for the student? Mm, I think it really starts when teachers understand who a student is and taking time to figure that out. It's a, it's a process. You're not going to know uh, what a student needs immediately right at the beginning of the school year, but it takes time. And I think that we've got a, that vulnerability. I think one of the things that students come into the classroom with is, you know, a little bit of a wall just because they see us one way. And if we're not modeling a little bit of vulnerability sharing of ourselves, uh, then they're not necessarily going to feel comfortable sharing with us. So I think that um, if, if, I, if I'm a student, and I know that my teacher is really interested in who I am, like what I'm into, and remembers those things and then brings it back into the classroom to get me involved. You know, that that's when I'm going to know that this is a spot where where it's for me. Yeah, that's what's up. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for naming that. Uh, one of the PDs that I do with, with, with our school or one of the PDs that we're going to be intentional on and doing this year is focusing in on that why statement. Right. On your why. Like, what is your why? Because if uh, kids are able to connect with you in terms of like knowing what your why is, it makes for a better learning environment, makes for a safer learning environment, and everybody can be involved, right? And so like these kids are going to work for you if they know you, if they know that they, if they know you care about them, if they know that you're uh, you're interested in them, if they know that you're interested in their communities, right? But if you're not, you know, Rita Pearson says like kids don't work for people that they don't like. Right. And I think she said it just like that. And so, Smitty, jumping right back into you, bro, because, you know, we want to talk about it from the coaching angle because, you know, we're giving you all free PD. So if you're in this audience, you're getting free PD right now. Don't worry about it. We got you. And if you have questions about what we're saying, let us know in the comments and we'll get to them. All right. So how are your teachers being coached up to create equitable systems for students? And why is this? Uh. So I think that what's important, uh, or for me, sorry, kind of go back, what, they, what they're doing to get coached up. So one of the things that we do at GMS, and I started this in my first year and we continued it, um, and we kind of started the process of planning what that looks like even better this school year, is we don't allow new content in those first 10 days. Um, those first 10 days are really about building relationships, routines, procedures, expectations, modeling for kids, um, really, you know, building that foundation. Uh, and I remember when I, when I introduced that my first year, teachers were like, you mean two weeks of like not content? Like we're going to be far, far behind. But then when you break it down minute wise, if you make sure kids understand expectations and you build that relationship, you're less likely to have to redirect kids later on down the road. 
and reteach those expectations and routines, things like that. So if you invest that time up front, trust me, you're going to save time on the back end. So getting them to understand that. So that's the big piece um, is really just helping teachers understand the importance of that relationship and really helping them understand students and then finding out where students are. So making sure, once again, from an instructional standpoint, pre-assessments, you know, making sure we're looking at those previous skills and uh, standards taught them uh, previous grade, whether it be sixth, seventh or fifth grade, and making sure we understand where our kids are at on that learning continuum in that process. Also having conversation with kids and allow them to goal set. What are their goals for that year? And basically using that in those conversations when you're trying to bring kids back and give kids those things that they need based on the goals that they have. Because a lot of times, like you said, put ourselves in our students' shoes. What is our, our students' goals may not be the same as ours. So making sure that we spend time up front doing those things to really get to know kids and then giving teachers the time and the tools to do those things. And, and just real quick, I know you like us to be long winded, but we are creating basically a 10 day template of all the things that we want to be covered within those 10 days from going over your syllabus, teaching routines, procedures, expectations, relationship builders and all that. And giving it to those teachers that we know are either first year or that we know are going to kind of struggle with those relationship building things, but not handcuffing those teachers who already have a good routine, kind of let them do their thing. But the teachers that need them, we have that resource available for them. Yeah. Hey, Ball, I'm coming to you, but I want to let folks know why we why I'm asking the same questions to you guys, to you guys. Right. So I'm asking the same questions because you guys have to understand in the audience that like no one leader has the same vision or thoughts or same approach to, to working out a problem. Right. And so, like, we are not monolithic. We all go about uh, uh, getting to the to, to the end goal different ways. But the goal is to get to the end. Right. And be there successfully. Right. So that's why we're asking some of the same questions. And so don't feel like it's redundant because it's not because we all approach it from a different angle. Right. And so same question to you, Ball. Uh, how are teachers coached up to create equitable systems for students? And why is this important? I'm huge modeling the behavior that you want to see. So every time that we have some type of PD, especially the beginning of the school year, I'm going to model those expectations and I'm going to run it, run the, that PD like I would hope that our teachers will model it with students, whether it's some type of activity where, you know, they're sharing, they're doing uh, some type of SEL activity just so we can build those relationships. Uh, I think that that is uh, critical and it's important because again, I think just like Smitty said, and we've been talking about um, the students have to understand that we're there for them and we need to figure out what, the best way that they learn. And I think, you know, if they're more comfortable, you know, we, uh, they'll be more likely to actually learn uh, once we get to that content. But Smitty, I love that 10 day template. I'm gonna have to get that from you because uh, I think that's one thing that uh, sometimes it's easy to forget that not all teachers are coming with the tools necessary to implement these types of strategies. And if we don't yeah. give them a tool, if we don't give them a template, we're yeah. setting them up for failure along with our students. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like the same thing with with students, right? So, like, if, if teachers aren't giving if teachers aren't giving students the right tools, then those those students aren't going to be successful, right? But it's the same thing. Leaders got to understand it's the same thing with teachers, right? Like, if you got a teacher that's just coming into teaching and you're not giving them the necessary tools in order for them to be successful, then you're gonna get what you get, right? Like at the end of the year, when you get the results you got, it's it's because you of poor leadership, not necessarily because that teacher wasn't prepared, because you didn't prepare that teacher as a leader. As leaders, we have to prepare our teachers. Like, we have to own that, right? Uh, developing our teachers is our job, right? So, like, if any administrator is in the building right now and you're wondering what your job is, your job is to develop your teachers.
right? That you don't have any other job. Your job is to develop your teachers. Your, de your job is to be the instructional leader and develop your teachers. So if you're in the audience right now, please like and or share this. Uh, we're giving y'all free PD. We're giving y'all our time, right? So if y'all can like and share this, we would be extremely grateful. Also, if you are a parent in this audience right now, what are your expectations for school leaders, right? Uh, put that in question form. What are your expectations for school leaders? If you are a parent in the audience right now, let us know what your expectations are. We will take some of those questions uh, as we move on. All right, so ball on you. Um, how have you coached students or, or even your, your kids on, on how to actively uh, fight against unfair disciplinary practices? Oh, I think this is uh, really uh, impactful with, uh, you know, coming from the middle school and then now at the high school, I think, um, you know, having those conversations, I think, you know, it, it is it's challenging uh, from from the admin perspective, because you've got to support your staff, because they're, they're going to have certain expectations for what discipline looks like from the admin. Um, but at the same time, you know, our students need to understand that you know we can't we can't be punitive all the time. And if, if there is a punitive consequence for whatever the unexpected behavior is, there's got to be some type of of coaching and uh, restorative component uh, so that students understand. You know this is a mistake. This had this had impact not just on me but on you know our school. If there's graffiti or something vandalism or you know other students that might have seen what I did, uh, including the teacher. So I, I think having conversations and understanding that we're here to support and we're going to work through the problems with them is one approach that, you know, is, is some, is, is different from what some are used to with just getting hammered with detentions and all that type of stuff uh, when it comes to yeah. discipline. Man, I appreciate you naming that. Right. Uh, Smitty, because you got middle schoolers, man, and middle schoolers right now are terrible. So uh, how have you coached your students <laughs> on how to actively fight against uh, unfair disciplinary practices? And I, I first before I start, I want to apologize for all them other principals out there, school leaders who have those terrible middle schoolers. I don't have them. So I just want to, you know, <laughs> you know I, I, I wish y'all well this school year because I don't have that issue, you know. Uh, I have a couple that need some extra loving, but I wouldn't say they're terrible. But uh, so one of the things <laughs> that we always talk about uh, is advocating and basically trying to use everything as a teachable moment. Um, so if a kid is coming in, if a kid's coming to my office, they don't really did something bad because usually my assistant principals are kind of handling that there. Or if one of my APs is out or if they're out and I got to kind of intervene, you know, I no matter what the situation was, I want to sit down and have a conference conversation with that kid and talk through what took place. If you had to go back and do that again, how could you have handled it different? So you wouldn't be sitting where you are at right now. Um, and hopefully in a time, and I think part of the issue is teachers try to have that conversation with kids when they're already escalating. Yes. And once a kid escalates, you ain't going to have a logical conversation with a 10, 11, 12, 13 year old. When they not escalate, it's going to be hard to have a logical conversation with them. Uh, so really making sure that we give them time to decompress, come back down to an even level state and then have that conversation about Okay, talk me through what took place from your perspective, because obviously the teacher has a different perspective. We already know. Um, but then also trying to help them understand and teach them about empathy and like, okay, now let's switch it around. Let's put, put you in the teacher's shoes and what the teacher's trying to accomplish. Can you understand where they were coming from when they were trying to get you to get on track and get the work done? And really just having that conversation. And then at the end, I talk about if this was to take place again, 
How do you handle it differently? And then if you feel like you're being unfair, we never get into an argument with a teacher in the midst of you know a situation. We say, hey, can I speak with you after class? Can I come before school? We can always have that conversation at a different time. And if you feel like you need an administrator, a counselor, somebody else to sit and be kind of that, you know, um, unbiased party, then we can do that. But really, then I go back to my teachers and make sure they understand that we're going to have this conversation with a kid about the situation. We're just trying to teach self-advocacy. So this ain't about right or wrong. This is about how can we teach a student a skill that we want them to have later on down the road um, in that process. And then one of the things I think Ball touched upon that we do um, usually early in the year uh, with our teachers is we do a, a PD around the difference between a consequence, a punishment, and accountability, because those are all different mm -hmm. things. And Absolutely. a lot of times teachers want a pound of flesh for the littlest yeah. things. Um, but then also helping teachers understand that if a kid gets sent out of your class, you want me to get rid of him, suspend him, whatever. I can suspend him for 20 days. On that 21st day, he coming back to your class. What's going to be different? What are you going to do different as the adult to change that relationship and make sure that relationship is solid moving forward? Yeah. Hey, listen, yo, I, we got to stay here for a second because we don't really name this and we don't really talk about this, right? But like a lot of these teachers be head hunting. Bro, and like you know, the the, the level of follow up that they have in terms of like wanting to find out what the consequence was, right? I feel like if that same uh, level of intentionality was put into being proactive or being preventive in terms of those things happening, right? We'd have less disciplinary occurrences if they put the same energy into preventing those disciplinary uh, things from happening, you know, as they are hungry about well, what was the consequence and what did he get. Or what did she get, or whatever, right? Like I absolutely hate that. Like one of the things that I hated the most as being a dean of students is that being that touch point between uh, admin and, and and the teachers, right? Because like I would see some teachers being like real eager beaver about wanting to know what a consequence was, but not really being eager beaver about building relationships with students and like wanting to give care after, right? Care after is extremely important. So even if a consequence is is uh even if a consequence is brought down, you still need to go and be relatable to that student for that student to understand that, hey, listen, you know, this is a consequence, but tomorrow is a new day, right? So like tomorrow, everything is got the, the slate is clean and we're starting over, right? But a lot, a lot of people don't want to start over and they hold these grudges against these kids, and that goes all year. And as administrators, again. Another one of our jobs is to make sure that these kids are getting, getting, uh, getting evenness, right? The way they're coming back, they're not being persecuted for, uh, for penalties or, or for, for, for consequences that they've already, um, that they've already served, right? So we got to make sure that we're doing that. So can I, can oh, I add to can, that? Yeah, I'm gonna jump on yeah, that yeah. too. Yes, I'm gonna let you go, Bart, and I'm gonna jump in after you. So, so I, I wanted to touch on a different thing, um, Doc, when you when you talked about the self advocacy component. Uh, one of the one of the pushbacks that I've had from parents is it's too much pressure on my kid to actually have that conversation with their teacher because that teacher has that power over them. And if they actually say and vocalize name what their problem is or what their struggle is in that class, that is just too much. What are y'all thoughts on how to help work through that, especially from the parents and students perspective? Yeah, uh, Smitty, take this. So um, I, I guess my pushback on the parent would be at what point do we teach them self-advocacy? Because um, they may be a middle schooler or a high schooler at this time, but they're going to graduate. They're going to always have a boss who has that power over them, you know, unless they're yes. running their own company. There's always going to be somebody over them. That's so why at what point do we say, hey, 
here's where you need to push back and this is how you need to push back. Like at some point you have to also not just educate your parents. I mean, educate your students and your teachers. You got to educate your parents and coach up your yeah. parents on helping them understand because a lot of us, you know, from our generation and older, we come from a, a time when your teacher or your, you know, a superior told you to do Say something, it. you did it. Yeah. There's no yeah. questions, no acts. Even if it was wrong, you yeah. did it. We'll worry about the consequences on the back end. So now we yeah. have to educate parents as well and say, hey, if your kid feel like they're being um, treated wrong, mistreated, whatever, there has to be a, a way for them to advocate for themselves. It may not be in that moment, yeah. but at some point, mm -hmm. whether it be, hey, let me go talk to Dr. Smith, let me go talk to Ball, let me go talk to uh, Mr. Ankrum, and then they, them advocating to you, then may you have to go and be their, their voice box for them. Yeah. But how do they yeah. make sure that what they're feeling and how they're feeling in that process is brought to the table is what I believe that, you know, you have to help parents understand. Yeah, I appreciate you naming that, bro. And like, yo, again, free PD, if you are in this audience right now and you're learning something, let us know by liking and sharing this, right? Uh, again, free PD. And, and I podcast. want to touch on something real quick because uh, my my counterpart over at Martin City, K8, um, Dr. Harris is in the building and she put on something about children learning from the mistake. And I think this goes back to that discipline police and teachers who be head hunting that you talked about, Ray. Yeah. Um, I feel like you have to educate teachers. And, and I feel like sometimes how we have to have that schema set up for kids with a, you know, a do now or whatever, we have to have that schema set up for teachers as well. So one of the things I always talk about with my teachers is if I had a kid, I taught math, if I had a kid, you know, in my seventh grade math class and we're learning, you know, solving one step equation, but they're still struggling with, you know, rational number operations. I don't kick them out of class because they struggle with rational number operations. What I do, I do a mini lesson over rational number operations so if i have a kid yeah. that's struggling with a behavior in my class why not go back and give them a mini lesson on what that expectation is in that moment we should be able to teach behaviors just like we teach content like yeah. those they there's they, they shouldn't be separated to different things when you see a kid or a group of kids struggling with an expectation you should be able to take a five minute mini lesson hey remember before we talked about working in partners let's go back and talk about what does it look like to work with partners and what does it not look like to work in partners instead of just or even kids out of the class and and being that example for them, right? Like so you're like right. my, taking a student and then modeling that behavior, like modeling the behavior that you want to see, right? Uh, before we continue, let's let's shout out some people that are here. Uh, Toya, what's happening? Bobby Morgan, what's going on? Uh, uh Andresa Owens, Miss Owens, how you doing? Uh, down in uh, Chapel Hill Middle hey. School in Atlanta, what's happening? Uh, Miss Malloy, oh, that's one of your retired teachers, man. I see you. Uh, at Alan, I see you, uh, sir. Uh, Miss Gertie, I see you. I, I called you out earlier, try to get you to respond to some parent stuff, but you didn't. Uh, El Michelle, what's happening? We're not talking about <laughs> Miyakas. We're not going to talk about Miyakas tonight, but we're here. Um, uh, Miss Castro, what's going on, Miss Castro? And uh, uh, Bobby Morgan, thanks for tuning in. Uh, who else we got? Miss Harris, thanks for coming Dr. and kicking with Dr. us. Dr. Harris, put the respect I'm on sorry. Mary. Dr. Harris, right? But uh, listen, listen. I got six months, baby. Six months. And you ain't gonna have to What's call up? me Dr. Anchor, man. I'm still Ray, right? And so, you know, until I earn that from the community, you understand me? All right. So if you have a teacher, right? And Ball, we're coming to you with this, right? A teacher that's e exemplifying these, these, these unfair behavior practices, right? Mm -hmm. How are you coaching this teacher up in order to kind of see the error of their ways and kind of uh, how are you coaching them up? I think it's important that we, just like we've been saying, that we name what's been happening. I mean, obviously, there's going to be a pattern 
of, of, of behavior and you've received this feedback, I think, you know, it's important, you know, whatever their role is, maybe you bring in a colleague, you know, someone, uh, someone to support them and say, hey, this, this is what we're seeing. What's your take on this? And so they, you know, hold up, hold up that mirror um, look at that reflection. Um, <laughs> the <see>. mirror. <laughs> <laughs> see, you know, like, you know, if there's, you know, there's a, if there's five kids and, you know, five parents that are telling us the same thing. I mean, there's, uh, I think the saying is, you know, there's a truth in, there's some truth in every every statement or something something to that effect. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, we're going to have those patterns, those things come up and have to be direct with it as, as, as difficult as it may be. Um, and, and figure out, okay, you know, this is what's happening. What do you think the root cause is and try and get to the root cause. And, you know, maybe we come up with some type of solution where, you know, there's another teacher that comes in or an admin comes in and, you know, we just observe and, and try and get more data on what exactly is happening and, and trying to get to the root cause to figure out, um, brainstorm some solutions. Yeah. And solutions I think is always ball hit it on the head with ball hit it on the head at the end when he talked about that, that data, um, yeah. I feel like too many times, like I said, we, t we treat the instruction that goes in the building different from the behavioral expectation in the building. Like, just like if we were going to help a teacher, a teacher around instruction, we're going to have data points. We're going to have that third point to talk about, whether it be an instructional strategy, a technique, whether it be a data point around an assessment. I feel like when we go in and talk about behavioral support for teachers, we need to have that data point as well. I'll give you a prime example. Um, uh, I had a teacher in my first year, uh, we use a, a program in our uh, district called Behavior intervention support teams um, where we try to reteach behaviors instead of giving kids consequences and constantly sending them to the office. So we do a buddy room, safe seat kind of function. But, so we track how many times a kid or a teacher is sending the kids to the buddy room just so we have that data point or whatever. And so at the semester, we went back and looked at the first semester data on number of referrals versus the number of buddy room movements that a teacher had. And um, at the time, my assistant principals were soft they didn't want to put people's names and stuff. They just wanted to put the data out there by team. I'm like, no, let's put, let's call it what it is. Let's put the name on the web. But the funny thing was that we put the data up within 30 seconds, every teacher knew whose data was what. Uh, but anyway, that's not the point of the story. But we had one teacher for, we had one teacher who had in the first semester, hundred buddy room movements. The average was like 12. She had a hundred. So yeah. when we, we, you know, called her in, we dug down into that data any deeper. And then when we dug down into that data, that hundred buddy room movements, 60 of them was black males. And then we dug right. down deeper, like 45 was three specific black males. So one thing we did with her, we was like, I said, hey, I want you second semester intentionally to work on building a relationship with those three males. Those three young men, I want you to find something positive to say to them every time they walk in your classroom. I want you to figure out a different way to redirect them. And so first semester, she had, like I said, 100 buddy room movements. And yeah. we didn't have a fourth quarter because of COVID, but in third quarter, she had like 10. But being yeah. able, like Ball said, to name it, name, not have yeah. something ambiguity, but whatever, name what the issue is and then give that teacher a skill or a tool to use to fix it and not just keep yeah. talking in theory about something. But what's practical that I can give you to change what's going on in your room so that we can get back to instruction? Yo, I love that, man. Hey, this free PD right here, baby. Free PD. So if you're in this audience right now, uh, you know, make sure you're liking this. Make sure you're, you're uh, retweeting it if you're on the Twitter, uh, liking it if you're on LinkedIn. Uh, liking it if you're on the Facebook. All right, so, uh, Ball, question on you, a question by uh, Mr. Morgan, right? And so this is an important question. It said, what would you say to the teacher who feels as though behaviors are solely the job of those at home? So basically, whenever a kid acts up in school, uh, it's not on the teacher, it's on the parent at home. 
you know, I wish I wish it were that easy. I wish it were that easy to say, you know what, these kids are going to come to school, but they they're able to leave everything at home. That's a, a distraction or issue or a challenge. Um, you know, if they're, if they're dealing with some type of you know social issue on campus, that's real. I mean, you they show up like that, and we have to be ready. We, we've got to be ready uh, to to face those things, and and we call in those those families if it's you know if they feel like it's it's a family only issue, they got to consider them part of the family, themselves yeah. part of the family. Mm, yeah. <laughs> they're they're part of the solution uh, because yeah. again, as as we've talked about already, you know, Smitty, you talked about the suspension. You know, that twenty first day, they're coming back, right? Like we, we we can't we're not going to be able to put the kids out of the out of the school or out of their class, and so we've got to. Um, maybe it, it and, and honestly, maybe it is the the responsibility. It's part of the responsibility of what's going on at home. But uh, in, in our in the nature of our our business, um, we 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 have a role in that as well to support the students. And we and, and it, it goes to that development that we provide for teachers uh, to be able yeah. to handle those situations and, and come into the conversation, come into the process. Yeah, thanks for naming that. Hey, uh, uh, Smitty, on you, same question, because, you know, I, good question. What would you uh, say to me, the teacher? I think, yeah, I was going to I think that goes back to two things. One, your hiring practices as the, the principal of that building to make sure you're hiring people that don't have that mindset. Let's start there. Uh, but then, you know, you do inherit some people who may have that mindset. But I think Ball talked about it before. Like, how are we as leaders setting wait, expectations? Wait, wait, wait. Before you, before you get to that answer, right? Because, like, we need to talk about this as well, right? Uh, we can interview someone, and a, perf a person can have a perfect interview, right? Meaning that they know all of the buzzwords. They know all of the social justice words. They know all of the things that they need to say in order for you to consider them an ally and for you to consider them as a safe uh, 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 basically a, a person that's going to create safe harbor for black kids. And then when they get into those school buildings, they revert back to the things that they know, right? Which are not the social justice things that I just named and not creating safe spaces for black kids, right? So I just wanted to name that and put that out there. But Smitty, yeah, answer the question, bro. So, and, and you right, I'm just kind of going to hit that next. That I mean, everything you just said, they, they can do all the right things in the interview and then step inside that classroom and be everything opposite of what they said because you know they did a mock interview with their best friend who gave them all the right things to say. But I think Ball talked about it before is like we have to set the expectation. Then we need to model the behaviors that we expect. And I'm I believe in one of two things: you either coach people up or you coach people out. That's the only two things we can do. So either you can get on board with what we're trying to do because our philosophy. And I heard this over the summer, and I'm still enough to get the guy I heard it from is we don't enroll students; we enroll families. So if that student yeah. is dealing with something at mm -hmm. home and brings it to the school building, then we owe it to that student if we're being truly equitable in our practices to meet that student where they're at, whatever it may be. And if that means we need to provide wraparound services for the family, then that's what we need to do as well. But yeah. that's our student. That's our child when they walk in that building. So whatever the deficit it be that they come with, whether it be behavioral, social, emotional, academic, whatever, we need to find a way to address it and undergird that kid and give them the tools they need to come up, to rise up to the level of expectation and the goals that not only we have, but that they have for themselves. Yeah. Uh, wanted to put the, the spotlight on, on, uh, on Ms. Castro. She says, that as teachers, we need to always remember that not all students get love, care, attention, guidance, social social education at home. Some come to school for that, uh, not just for education. And that's 100 percent true. And uh, and we would be disingenuous not not to name that. Right. Uh, 
you know, some kids is, is school is more than just school for some kids. You know, it's their um, it's their normalcy. It's their consistency. It's the only consistent thing that some of these kids have. Right? And so if they're uh, coming to school and are getting free breakfast, uh, they're getting free lunch. And uh, in schools that should be doing this, that have a food pantry and that are sending them home on the w- w- um, with food for the weekends and stuff. Those are all things that we need to think about, right? Because we don't know exactly what's going on in inside the home uh, most times, but uh, we need to be in tune, right? And being in tune is one of those things that it's just like, you know, I may not live in your house, but there's certain nuances and certain subtleties that I'm going to be able to pick up on just by watching you, just by loving kids, right? But the loving kids is important because not everybody that's in these classrooms loves kids. Some of these people hate kids and they're just doing this for a job, right? And so, you know, we we, we have to name that. Again, free PD. If, you did, if you're rocking with us, please like, share, do whatever it is you're doing or whatever. If you have questions in the comments, uh, please uh, put them in there so that we can address these comments. So, uh, Smitty, on you. Rita Pearson, one of our favorites. Uh, God bless the dead. God bless uh, the Soros. Uh, she said, uh, kids don't work for people they don't like. Uh, do you feel it's important to be liked by students? So um, before I jump into the answer, because uh, Rita Pearson is one of my favorite people, um, the quote actually is, kids don't learn from people they don't like. So I just want to make sure we're clear on the actual quote. Oh, my way it was God. <laughs> right uh, here so, yo. <laughs> yo you're a math guy all right go ahead so so wait so wait so so, so sir wait so wait but wait, you wait. summarize Listen, i understand because, hey, paraphrase. Hey, cool. no, 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 no 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 because i didn't say it was a direct quote and if i didn't say it was a direct quote that means that i can shift some things around we are bro we all going through this process right here man this, this guy's a doc student as well right so like that's we right. know how to that's right man, we know how we know what apa looks like man don't try to pledge us get out of here we the cues anyway seventh edition let's answer, go seventh edition answer the question <laughs> Ray's still working on the fifth edition that's the problem <laughs> so <laughs> back, back to the question though maybe, uh, maybe. <laughs> I firmly do believe, I mean, I believe in that quote wholeheartedly. Uh, our first priority at GMS since I've been there day one has been relationships. How do we build relationships with our students? How do we make sure our students understand we are there for them in every capacity that they need us for? And, you know, I mean, it's just it. Students are going to perform better for people that they have a better relationship with. Not saying that they're not going to perform for people that, you know, they have lackluster relationships for, but I, you're not going to get that full potential out of a student Unless one, they know you care about them first. You know, as the, old, the saying goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So I mm. believe in that statement wholeheartedly that if a kid doesn't respect you, doesn't like you, trust me, you're going to have, you're going to be fighting to help your battle all 187 days. You got them, unless you got more days like they do out at River Bend Charter. River Bend. Like, yo, Is bro, it River Bend? you don't River even River. have, you don't oh, have enough head. respect for <laughs> the producer head. to even get my school's name right, bro. <laughs> I'm about to mute you permanently, bro. I just did, I just did that on behalf of Rita. <laughs> <laughs> Ball, same question to you, man. Do you feel it's important to be liked by students? Uh, you know, I, I think like and respect is, you know, I, I can I consider those two very similar because, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I don't necessarily have to like someone's style, but I got to know that they respect me. 
in order for me to learn from them. Uh, so, you know, I, I think going out of your way to show that you love and respect your kids is huge. Uh, because again, it, it tears down those walls. They feel comfortable. Um, you know that you. They know that they've got someone on campus that they can go to. So it, it's crucial. They. I guess they gotta like you. I think they have to yeah. like you in order for for it to be some uh, an experience that's that's worth it for them. That they're gonna be the best that they can be. Bro, so when we cut this clip up tomorrow, man, you're going to have some white teachers that are going to be like, they don't pay me enough to like these kids. You're going to have some black teachers that are going to say they don't pay me enough to like these kids. You're going to have some Latino teachers that are going to say they don't pay me enough to like these kids, right? You, you, Everybody says that. You have somebody that is going to say they don't pay me enough to like these kids. And I think that's very unfortunate that folks take that, uh, take that approach because I feel like it's our job to build relationships with kids, right? And not everybody's going to like you. That's human nature. But at least give it an old college try in terms of building relationships with kids. So, Smitty, segue well, into can you. I, can, I, can I jump in this over? Because you said something that triggered something, a conversation I just yep. had today um, yep. with my uh, assistant suit, Dr. Amaya, and she talked about um, we, we shout it's okay. Out? Hey, I'm always shouting my people out now. So, but it, because this is a good, this is a good thing. Now, if it's negative, we always going to keep it, you know, keep it anonymous. <laughs> But because it's, it's not about does, I think, does a kid like you? It's about does a kid know you don't like them? And one thing that yes. she said, we should, a kid should never know we don't like them. Like, we should be that good that a kid can never dispel. You know, like and she said that, you know, and this was, I mean, when she said, I'm like, man, I never thought about that way. She said when she was in the classroom and she was in the, at the building level, she would think a lot of people that would come to her was like, oh, you know, these kids you always keep around you. Those must be the ones that you really don't, you know, like or have the best relationship. She said, or have the best relationships with. And she was like, no, those are the ones I have the struggling relationship. That's why I keep them around. I need to kind of figure out what it is that I can do to connect with those kids. So I'm gonna go over and above to make sure I speak to those kids, to make sure I'm asking them how their day are going, so that I can finally find that connection. The kids that already like me. That's easy. They always, they always gonna have my back. So that's the thing I, that I just want to reiterate to those teachers out there who say that they don't pay you enough to like them. That kid still shouldn't know that you don't like them, even if you don't like them for whatever reason. Um, they should never know that you don't like them. Yeah. 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 I, honestly, man, I'm going out on a limb and say, yeah, as it shouldn't be in teaching if you don't like kids. Right. Like you should you. There's there's another profession for you. I can write you a letter of recommendation. If you're in this audience right now, and you don't like kids. Email me. I'll write you a recommendation like you work for me. Don't and, put it in uh, the chat, you, please. Don't don't put it in the chat. You, get you up out of this space, right? This DM uh, about to blow yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, hey, because hey, listen, not 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 every yo, listen. We all say teaching is a calling. Teaching is a calling. But at the end of the day, you know, some of these people that's getting called out, I, I don't know if that number was down. They called themselves. You know, I think I, I think so. I think so. I think they've been picking up the phone and be like, yo, hey, you know, somebody and somebody was just talking. But, right, so how are uh Ball on you. Um, how are you coaching teachers about the importance of building relationships with students? Uh, I, I think again, it's it's the most important thing. I come in, I say that's what I stand on. I stand on relationships. I think one of the benefits of of where I'm at right now, um, I, I see so many kids that I had at the at the middle school level up here at the high school. And, you know, it, it's so, so comforting because relationships are the key. Like, I, I think that if you don't understand that relationships are what's going to get you through, it's, it's going to be a diff difficult road. Uh, so, um, 
again, I, I just can't reiterate enough how much important how important it is to model. Um, one of the things that I am that's crucial for us starting the school year is for the admin team to be out front, for us to be greeting families uh, as they drop off, uh, to be greeting students as they you know they park and they come in come into school, um, because we need to, we need to humanize ourselves um, in order for our students to to feel to feel that they're that they're human. You know, we, I think that's one thing that I that I've noticed over the last uh, couple years is just the fact that you know we talk about these teachers that. Uh, don't get paid enough. Um, you got you got to see these these kids, these young people as as human beings. I think that's <laughs> that, that's a baseline requirement in order for you to even be close to being successful uh, to move students forward academically. Yeah, uh, thanks for naming that. Um, hey, shout out to Will Burnett in the check in. Uh, what's up with the bros? Uh, Thunder and Tal Zeta, uh, Rutgers University in the building. Um, <laughs> Ah, this guy Smitty is a hater. All right. Oh, <laughs> uh, so Smitty, how you coaching your teachers up, bro? Uh, so once again, I, I'm I'm always trying to figure out how can I make something not theoretical but practical, you know, uh, for teachers so that when you walk back into your room, you can implement this here. So one of the things, you know, if I have a teacher um, that's struggling with the relationship piece, um, especially if I know it before that we go into the year, or if I see it during the year. You know, it starts out with just a quick conversation. Like, talk to me about the last person, you know, you have the last friend you made. Like, who, who would that be? Who is that person? You know, they could name, hopefully name that person or whatever. You know, how did that friendship start out? Oh, we met at so-and-so. We had some casual conversation. And then slowly but surely, we kind of got to know more and more about that. So when you walk into the classroom, that's how you build the same relationship with kids. How do you have a non-academic conversation about it? You have to get to know and learn something about that kid that can going to help you then on either, you know, build that relationship, help you instructionally with that kid. But like, where do you, the same skill sets you do to when you walk into happy hour and talk to the person next to you to build that relationship is the same thing when you walk into a classroom and want to build a relationship with a kid. Get to know a student on a personal level. Like Boy said, you have to know, be able to understand and believe in a kid on a human level first. Like that's the baseline criteria. So that's kind of where the conversation starts with my teachers is like, how are you getting to know your students personally? And then like I said, I mean, we don't, we don't, you know, live in a perfect world. So we do have some teachers who struggle with certain kids, you know, it might be a student or two that in their, you know, on their roster um, and a skill that I learned um, when I was at the ESSA conference in New Orleans that we've, you know, started to more and more roll out is I want you to find that kid when they come to your class for the next 10 days and say something positive to them as soon as they walk into the room. I want you to say something yeah. positive for the 10 days straight. Don't miss a day. And just that interaction is going to change the way you see that kid, the way you feel about that kid is going to help strengthen that relationship. Yeah. Hey, Will, no doubt, man. Whenever you want to come through, hey, pull up. The brothers is always Hey, Will, there's a show mm -hmm. on Tuesday called Three Times Dope. Go ahead and call in. They'll get you on there. <laughs> hey, hey, don't, don't, don't be scared, Doc. Don't be yeah, scared. Hey, 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 listen, so I, I want to I answer this, uh, this, this, uh, this Castro question, right? So she says, as an administrator, how do you make sure that when a discipline issue arises, how do you make sure the teacher feels heard and supported when an incident happens in a classroom between a teacher and a student? that you're not present for. And so first and foremost, Ms. Castro, thank you for a asking that question. I'm always gonna err on the side of supporting uh, the, the teacher, right? But I'm gonna do some fact finding in order to find out exactly what happened. And that may be me asking other students and like other people that were present in terms of like getting a general understanding of like what occurred, right? 
Then I'm going to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the teacher to see how the teacher was impacted, how the teacher was uh, affected, right? Then I'm going to ask some key questions like, well, what do you think you could have done uh, to be proactive in terms of preventing this from happening? Or uh, what are the, the things you're going to do in order to prevent this from happening again? Then I'm going to ask the teacher, I'm going to say, hey, well, what, what, what types of parent outreach have you done in terms of like uh, reaching out to the parents? Like what kind of relationships do you have with the parents? Then I'm going to ask the teacher, what kind of relationships do you have with the student, right? Because I want to get to the root cause of what's happening in the classroom so that it doesn't happen again. A lot of times what will happen is you'll have administrators that will uh, just go straight for a punishment. And that's a Band-Aid approach, right? That That is a Band-Aid approach because, you know, again, as Ball, uh, I'm sorry, as Smitty said, when that kid comes back on the 21st day, there's still your issue because it's still going to be in your classroom, Right. And so just coming up with uh, um, a root cause analysis as to like why the kid is behaving the way that they are, and then uh, coming up with a sensible way that works for the teacher so that the teacher feels heard and the teacher feels like, hey, you know, not with like giving this kid a death sentence, because if that's your end goal as a teacher, I don't want you on my staff anyway, right? But like, you know, consequences do need to happen uh, in order for kids to learn from, uh, learn, learn, learn with love though right I, I like to call it learn with love right and so care seems sweeter when joy comes after and so we need to let these kids know that we care about them uh in, in every way even when we're giving them a consequence right so like how are we then coaching that kid back up in order to uh, get back into the situation and, and learn right and then how we uh and then also with the teacher like my my last question for the teacher is what's gonna happen tomorrow is it a clean slate how do you know it's a clean slate? What are you going to do in order to make sure that it's a clean slate? So, Ms. Castro, I hope I answered your question. Fellas, if anybody else wants to jump in and, and, uh, and, and tag on, please feel free. Uh, I think you hit, up, hit, hit on there. Just one piece I was at, I think you hit upon it, though, is that um, just because we're having these restorative conversations and we really want to help kids self-advocate don't mean we're not giving kids consequences. Like Facts. kids are still getting consequences. That's, that's one thing I think people have the wrong mindset about when they talk about restorative practices in school. Restorative practices don't mean anti-consequences. And consequences don't mean anti-restorative. Like they work in conjoints with you know both ways. We're gonna give a kid a consequence, but trust me, after that consequence, we still need to restore that kid back to where they were at. We still need to restore that relationship and make sure kids can stick. Because we're there to we're there to teach kids. We're there to yeah. teach kids. So what do we do so that, like you said, this doesn't happen again so that that kid can get the learning that they need? And and I'll just I'll just add a Castro. Great question. One of my superstars. Uh, I, I would say, <laughs> you know, when we talk about that res restore component, I mean, if, there, if, if you don't have a relationship, there's nothing to restore. And, and yes. it's going to keep happening again. It's going to keep yes. happening again. Yes, bro. That that's an excellent point. Love when the cues bring us home. All right. Uh, <laughs> so, Smitty, really quickly, what would your students say about your current disciplinary practices? Uh so I, I would say so. I said before we 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 use a program called BIS, um, where we try to really find. First of all, teach a kid the missing skills that they have. Um, I think they would also talk about first and foremost relationships that we're all about. How do we build relationships? How do we restore restore relationships? Um, how do we teach kids to self advocate? Um, how do we make sure that you know kids aren't losing instructional minutes? 
you know, what are we doing to make sure kids aren't using instructional minutes? So I'll kind of just run you real quick through people who maybe not know what this model looks like. Um, so if a kid isn't following an expectation, we give the kid a redirect, uh, you know, little Johnny, you know, right now we're supposed to be doing so-and-so. Do you believe you can follow the expectation? It's a yes or it's always a yes or no type of question. Um, it's not time for conversation. And if they can go back and get and do what they need to do. Uh, after the redirect, we send them to a safe seat. And they, the safe seat is in the classroom, basically um, just away from, you know, the student body so they can kind of refocus, get them together. Once you show that you're ready to learn, you come back to your seat, we move on with the content. Uh, if you can't yeah. function in the safe seat, then we send you to a buddy room. Uh, and the buddy room is just for you a time to think about what happened, what could look differently or whatever. And then you and that teacher have a conversation, you know, whether it be after, you know, after that class during passing period, the next morning, that teacher's plan about what took place, chance for that teacher to talk about the expectation. And here's how to how redirect, and, you know, hey, you didn't like the way I redirected you. What would it, what could it look like so we can keep you in the classroom? And then that kid goes back to class the next day. So really just once again, trying to constantly teach behaviors um, in that process, um, even to the point where we do have a situation where we have to suspend a kid for an you know an offense uh we basically just started this last semester and i mean second semester of last year is if we say we're getting a kid a three-day you know out of school suspension we'll give them two days out of school suspension and one day iss and that last day of suspension is always iss and we bring them back because on that day we do a reconnection conference so they can reconnect mm. with whoever that person that got them you know sent out whether it be a teacher whether it be was another student whether it was you know support staff to really restore that conversation and get that kid you know back in the process of ready to learn so they aren't coming back into the school basically cold you know cold with after the suspension is done Bro, regardless of, you know, you suspend them for three days or not, all three days that they out, they're still your kids, right? And you still got to make sure they're learning. You still got to make sure that learning is happening because if they come back, right, you're still responsible for that data on that kid, right? So that kid still has to be learning even when they're suspended. So I, I don't think folks think about that enough, right? And so um, I think, uh, so uh, the question was, most, most, most adult consequences are restorative in nature. Why, why is it hard for teachers to embrace that? I think you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, I, I think teachers look at some teachers. I don't want to say all. Oh, I don't want to pigeonhole teachers. But, you know, some folks, uh, man, they look at it through a societal lens. Like, you know, they look at these consequences like jail sentences. Right. And so, like, there's a whole lot of uh, school to prison pipeline stuff that's happening uh, and, and folks aren't naming it. Right. So, like, you know, when you got young black kids, young black boys and girls that are showing up and they're being uh, over-sexualized over, over uh, in terms of like, you know, how, how black girls show up and then over-criminalized in terms of like how some people view black males, then, you know, when you're talking about consequences, you know, folks are going to be thinking in terms of like, you know, prison sentences, football numbers, right? Like that's that's how folks are going to be viewing this, right? And so I hate that it's like that, but it's like that, right? And so what are y'all's thoughts on that? No thoughts. All well, right, that's cool. I was, I was giving, I was giving ball to floor. Oh, you just give like, me the know. space. Give me yeah. the space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the, I really wonder if people realize that the school to prison pipeline exists, or if they think that you know that, that they're in a vacuum, because just from my perspective. I don't. I don't think that many many teachers that are super punitive and what they want understand that the long term repercussions of constantly pushing these kids out. I know that you know um, you know young black girls are you know just like you said over sexualized and criminalized, but and pushed out 
you know, and, and, and I don't think people understand what the long-term effects of, of those things are. And, you know, I, I think some people just have that mentality, like, you know, I can't handle this. This isn't what I get paid to do. You know, this isn't part of my job description is to, to help love and care and support this kid. Um, you know, we'll push, put him, put him in special ed or something, something like that. Um, it, it's not my problem. And, and I just think that that's crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah, man. I love, I absolutely love the tone of this show, man. Free PD for the folks. If you with us right now, please like, uh, share, uh, let us know you're in the audience. If you have any questions or whatever, like I, I really love the tenor of this show. And so we're going to go into closing thoughts. Because we'll keep this thing under 60 minutes because the goal is to uh put this thing on uh on Instagram, right? So we could uh people can find us on the IG, right? Um so uh ball, you start. What what's what's your final thought? You know, I just am appreciative of this conversation. I think it's really getting me to think about what we do intentionally, uh, as myself as a principal and my admin team, about really coaching up about you know some of these expectations like i said we i before uh before uh coming on i had a curriculum leader meeting and we talked about you know some of the things that we want to put in place but we need to go further with them and the entire staff about how important it is about you know the the consequences that we put in place the conversations that we're having because just like the last question kind of the long-term of we want these kids in class. They need to be in class, understanding the curriculum, and they and they need to know that your class is a safe space. So all of our teachers that are listening, all the admin that are listening, you set the tone, have those conversations, develop those relationships with your staff, set the example, uh, so that you know you are your your school environment is a place for all of your kids and all your families. Hey, you got a question in the audience? Tori calling you out. Oh, man, the Literary Society. Seeing that I have been the only Black man in the Literary Society pretty much since the inception, I'm going to have to pull some time uh, th this Sunday. I'll be back, Ms. Toya. Thank you. Thank you, Auntie, for calling me out. <laughs> man, close, close us out, uh, uh, Smitty. Uh, so, so for me, I, I feel like one of the tenets purposes of a teacher and educator is to see something in kids they can't see in themselves and i mm. say that because i sit here today as dr smith the kansas city middle school principal of the year let's but go a lot of people don't know was in sixth grade i got kicked out of three different elementaries because people didn't understand my mom was in prison and i was trying to figure out how do i make it in life without my mom who was suddenly wasn't there i you know in eighth grade got kicked out of, you know, Robinson Junior High School. I'm not going to say who the principal was. He said, well, his neck is going to keep him, you know, anonymous. But you can go back and look at who the principal was at Robinson back in that day. Uh, but kicked me out just because I was affiliated with some people that was in a gang and he was trying to get all the gang members out of his school, but didn't see my potential. So I had to go to an alternative school. Um, and throughout that journey, it wasn't until I got to high school and two people, three people, I'm going to shout out to Mr. Dye, who was my math teacher, Mr. Gordon, who was another one of my amazing principals who looked, uh, was a, uh, one of my teachers who was now a superintendent. And then my uh, linebackers coach of football, Coach Steinbreaker, a great rest his soul, who saw the potential of me and told me I was better than my situation, that I was better than the behaviors I was displaying in school, who was able to see in me what I couldn't even see in myself. Um, and so I think as an educator, just remember when you have that kid, 
who is driving you up a wall and we all have had them. I'm pretty sure even to this day, I can name someone I was in the classroom. You have to dig deep to see what is in that kid. What is that kid going to be? How's that kid going to change the world that I can't see today and he can't see today? And how do I continue just to pour into him? And I think Ray hit on the head earlier today. Each day, you got to wipe that wall and give that kid a clean slate. No matter what it was that day before, you got to give that kid a clean slate. Because trust me, I guarantee you, you don't know what that kid's dealing with when they walk out of the school doors and go home at night. Yeah. All right. So, folks, listen, I don't have a final thought because that right there just brought it home. And I don't want to go after that because that, that's amazing. And, Smitty, I'm so proud of you, man, and the man that you become, <laughs> Dr. Smith. That's what I'm talking about. So, listen, you guys have been listening to another episode of the Engage Podcast, Free PD, Real uh, Realist Education Movement, Realist Ed Movement, Realist Ed Movement, hashtag Realist Ed Movement. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Two weeks. Peace. Peace.